Amen. Amen. Well, Paul has called the Philippians, and in, in including us as well, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. And the question oftentimes for us is, we are sinners saved by grace or faith, but can we live such a life? Can we live out the gospel in every aspect of our life? That's the question. And Paul affirms that, yes, we can. And in order to convince us that we can, he provides for us two examples, two examples of, of people who lived in such a way. Now, we looked at the first example with a man by the name of Timothy last week. And we saw that he lived out the gospel by, by, by both being predictably trustworthy. That means that he was a man that when making a decision would always do what the word of God dictated him to do. And then we also saw that he also lived out the gospel by being genuinely concerned for other people, by putting their needs even above his own. Well, today we want to look at the second example, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. Now, what's interesting about Epaphroditus is he's really the polar opposite of Timothy. Timothy was hand-selected by Paul. He was a, a prodigy of sorts. He was a guy who was immensely gifted, great spiritual gifts, great incredible influence. Later, he would become a pastor. He would become an elder of a church. His ministry was really highlighted. It was very visible for all to see. Well, Epaphroditus' ministry was completely the opposite. He's a pretty simple guy. He doesn't have all these flashy spiritual gifts. He's, he's more of a kind of one-talent type of guy. He's not an elder or an apostle. Instead, he's a layman, an average layman in the church. He's, he's really just one of many members in the church there at Philippi. And his ministry is not one that really most people even notice or even aware of. He's more a behind-the-scenes uh, type of guy. He kind of serves in the shadows. He's in a support role to be able to help people like Timothy and to be able to help people like Paul. And we've seen this actually develop, and we've seen kind of his ministry as, as, as the book has unfolded in the fact that he was actually sent by the people of Philippi to bring a love offering to Paul in Rome. So he made the trip over, and the idea was for him to give Paul this money so that Paul could support himself while in prison for food and for, uh, for medicine and whatever it was that he needed. But the concept was that, or the idea was that he was going to stay with him for a while, that he was going to stay there and minister to Paul probably for a long period of time, at least until they know how the trial is ultimately going to go for him. And so this is Epaphroditus. And so what we find is, is that Paul indeed is going to send Timothy back. That's what the Philippians are hoping that we'll do. They're like, hey, listen, we'll give you one if you give us one. We'll give you Epaphroditus. We would love for you to send Timothy. Again, because Timothy was an amazing teacher of the word, and they wanted to be encouraged by him and find out all that was going on with Paul. And so this is what they desire. And Paul wants to send Timothy to them. I'm just kind of catching you up. He wants to send Timothy to them, but he can't send them yet because he needs Timothy at least until he finds out how the rest of his trial is going to unfold. But in the meantime, he's going to send back Epaphroditus with this letter that we're reading and we're studying right now. But Paul is smart enough and been around church people long enough that this might not go well. This might be perceived by the people back at home that this man who was sent to minister to Paul and now coming back early, that maybe in some way he's actually failed to do what it was that he was actually sent to be able to do. And Paul knows human nature. 
And he understands that if this is the thinking of the people when, when, when Epaphroditus returns, then at best, they're going to kind of receive him with apathy. They're just going to say, well, you know, we're glad you're back and we're glad you're okay, but where's Timothy? Why didn't Timothy come? Or at worst, they're going to receive him with disdain. They're going to be a bit invidious, spiteful towards him. Where When he comes, they're going to say, hey, listen, we sent you to do your work, and now they're going to be critical of him. And Paul doesn't want any of this to happen at all. And so what he does is he actually commands them in verse 29. Look at that, if you will, skip ahead. Verse 29, he says when he comes, he says to receive him, he's speaking of Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor. With all joy and with all honor honor. And so, listen, you're wondering what this text is about, and I'm still wondering what this text is about. Well, here's what I think he's trying to get across. I think what he's saying is that you and I, that God requires us to honor men and women of God within the church, those that are worthy of honor. Now, that seems like a straight, that's not an everyday type message. That's not about money or family or kids or, or, you know, the big five that you normally preach on. But apparently this is something that's needed for all of us to be able to hear, that we are to honor other folks. Now, I think this teaching is necessary because I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this idea of honoring uh, people within the church of God. Two reasons why. I think, number one, sometimes we make the mistake to think that nobody should be honored within the church. This is all about God. This is not about man. Uh, some people think that they shouldn't honor anybody because they're going to get puffed up with pride, right? So let's not honor somebody in front of everyone. I've, I know this uh, personally uh, because every once in a while I'll have a wonderful church folk that will take me aside after the sermon and it kind of goes something like this. Well, Pastor Mike, um, I just, I don't want to blow you your giant head up uh, or anything or make you more proudful than what you already are. Uh, I know that it's God and you are nothing. And uh, I want to remind you that I'm a follower of God and I'm not a follower of you. With all that said, thanks for the message. It was pretty good. Now, I think think the (laughs) intention uh, was to honor or to encourage, but maybe they were afraid that a little bit of pepping up, that you have to beat somebody down before you prop them up. If, if not, they're going to be uh, full of pride. So sometimes I think that we're afraid to be able to honor other people, what that means, maybe stealing the glory from God. I think the other thing that we struggle with oftentimes with this is that we've, when we do honor people within the church, we often honor them for the wrong reasons. I think a clear example of this would be found in the book of James. James says, he gives a scenario where it's a church service and two men simultaneously walk through the door. And as they walk through, um, he says one of them is rich. And you could tell because he's got many gold uh, rings on his finger. Literally in the Greek, it's Mr. Goldfinger. And, uh, and he's, he comes in and, and the people are like, oh, well, you're new to the church. Yes, I see your fingers. And please come sit here in a place of honor. And then with him comes a poor man and the poor man comes in and says, oh, you come sit over here. I have a place for you right on the floor, right next to my feet. And so they are honoring somebody, but they're honoring like the world would honor somebody. They're honoring them because of their affluence and their influence within the community. And that's the way that the world views things. And how many of you know, God doesn't view things the same way that the world does. And so what what we find out here is we find out that God commands us very clearly that we are to honor people that are worthy of honor within the church. It's a command. Look, we see it all over the scriptures, whether we're aware of it or not. Our children are told to honor their mothers and fathers. 
Uh, we, are, uh, we are told to honor those as citizens of the United States, to honor those who have authority over us. We're called to honor elders, like even like we did today. He says, especially in, in giving double honor to those who rightly divide the word of truth and preach the word of God. So the Bible teaches us very clearly that we are to honor people. There's a place and a time to be able to do it. But when we do it, we have to do it for the right reasons. And that's what Epaphroditus helps us out with. What Epaphroditus does is he, he is a man who is indeed living a life that is worthy of the gospel. And when people live in that way, they deserve a sense of honor. We ought to honor them. And then in looking at his life and looking at his characteristics, the way that Paul describes him, we see specific characteristics of individuals that ought to be honored in the local church. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. So let me, let me go through this as quickly as we can. We've got several, at least five different points. I don't know, maybe 10. Depends on how well you listen um, and how nice you are. So um, number one, here it is. Uh, uh, we must honor those who work we're to honor those who work. Now, this is really an overarching idea of the whole text, that work. And then we're going to talk about the specific type of work. But first of all, let's throw that out there. We're to honor those who work within the church. Paul writes in, in verse 25, he says, I have, have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. So what Paul does here is he gives five positive descriptions of Epaphroditus. And what they all have in common is they all deal with what Epaphroditus does. It, it all talks about his actions, his service, his work on behalf of both Paul and the Philippian church. The first three deal with his work unto and his service unto Paul. The last two descriptions deal with his service unto the Philippian church. And, you know, my dad used to say, while well, he was still alive, he would say growing up, hey, son, and he would kind of say it sarcastically. He says, there's two types of people in the world, those who do and those who talk about doing. He goes, which one are you going to be? You might heard that, but you know, I have found that there's a lot of truth to that within the local body church as well. I find a lot of people who talk a lot about doing a lot of things or the things that they should be doing. It usually says, well, you know, I really need to start doing that, or I really should be doing this, or when I'm not quite as busy in life, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. That's right. But all of their talk is about what they should be doing, what they could be doing, maybe in another time they should be doing. But then there are people like Epaphroditus who don't talk about doing anything at all. They just do. They just serve. He says the, the overarching idea is that we should honor those who work in the church. Now, uh, I want to make sure that we understand something. Before you begin to sit there and go, wow, this is really desperate on the part of Mike. He is talking about honoring those who work in the church. Hello? No. All right. Understand the context of this. All right. The context is Epaphroditus. It's why we set that up from the beginning. Epaphroditus is not a pastor. He's a lay person who serves within the church. And Paul is saying he serves, he works, he's serving you and what is he saying? He deserves honor. Now, let's get more specific in what type of, what kind of work we should honor. First of all, we should honor those that work. Second, we should honor those who work out their salvation. Now, notice the first word or the first phrase that Paul uses to describe him. He describes Epaphroditus as my brother. When he speaks to him as my brother, he's suggesting that he is a true believer in Jesus Christ. 
that he's not somebody that just professes faith. He's somebody who lives it. And who would be better to be able to make that determination than Paul? Paul's in prison. He goes nowhere. And each and every day, he is with Epaphroditus from morning to night, 24 hours a day. He's there. He's able to see the man's actions, and his actions demonstrate that he's a true believer in Jesus Christ. We love to read, and we love, we love at least I do, love Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. Do we not? As we should, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But as equally as important verse is verse 10, when he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, say it, church, for good works, for good works. In other words, we are saved by grace through faith, but the evidence that we are saved by grace through faith is we become people who work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out what it is that God is working in us. Those who would be born again and profess to be born again, but show no evidence of working that faith out. First John, John would end up telling us that he's not in God, nor has he seen God. And so what we find here is this is, he's saying to us, he says, look, when you see those people that are really, stop and think for a moment, those people that are not just kind of there, hit, miss, whatever, but the people in your life that you see living out their faith with fear and trembling, they are actually taking the word and applying it and working it out. He says, those are the type of people that must be and ought to be honored within the church. So who should we honor those that work? Who should we honor? those that work out their salvation. Next, we should honor those who work for the kingdom. Look at the next phrase that he gives, that he uses to describe um, Epaphroditus. He calls him his fellow worker. I love that. He's referring to the fact that he has joined him in the work. What work? The Great Commission. He's joined him in propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is sharing the gospel as far and wide as he possibly can, and then in turn, making disciples of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is astounding that Paul would say this about this man. Because remember, Epaphroditus is not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He's never written a book of the Bible like, like Paul. But yet Paul is saying, he's my fellow worker. He's in this with me, working, fulfilling the Great Commission with me. Well, what was it that Epaphroditus did? Well, he carried a bag. That's what he did. What do you do for the Lord? I carry a bag. Really? Well, you, you've never written a book of the Bible? No. You've never preached a message? No. What have I done? I've, I've, I've carried a bag. He carried a bag of money. You say, well, big deal. Well, there is, it is a big deal because he carried it for 800 miles. He carried it on a journey that took 40 days. And what's even more of a big deal, and we often miss this, is that Paul could not have done what he did, including writing this letter and having it delivered, had it been not a part of what Apollos was doing by being willing to be able to go and to be able to carry a bag to Paul. I think oftentimes our first initial reaction is to be able to look at people and be able to look at spectacular gifts of teaching and preaching and all of these things, and we begin to look at them and we think of all that they've ultimately done, but what we fail to see and understand is that there are a lot of people that go in to be able to make that happen. Would you agree with that? I think of all that, that Dan and, and Chris do and, 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 and Nick does and all these people my secretary does behind the scenes to be able to make Sunday morning possible, but it goes well beyond them. 
It goes well beyond to all the people who invite people to celebration, people who hold the door, people that wave people in. You've seen Herman out there, right? Waving everybody, come on in, come on in, right? People give him thumbs up. Sometimes people are like, dude, I'm not even a believer, but the guy was so friendly, I just had to turn in, right? And so they're in and they're doing all these things, but what I love Paul's doing is he's saying, there's not one that's infinitely more important than the other. We are all working together in those that work in whatever capacity, ought to be honored and when they're working for the kingdom. Here's another reason to honor. Uh, honor those who work at great expense to themselves. Now, notice what uh, Paul says, uh, third, uh, third, third identifying, identifiable mark of Epaphroditus. He calls him a fellow soldier. I love that. What he's saying is this is not a man that just plays it safe. This is a man who's in the fight. This is a man who's in the battlefield. He is working. He's fighting against the enemy. And who is the enemy? Is the devil. And, and he's on the front lines. And I don't know about you and whether you've ever served before or not in, in, in the military. And I haven't. But I know enough to know that when you're on the front lines, there's a good chance you're going to get wounded. That you're going to get hurt. That you're going to get injured. And that's exactly what happened to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was working and he was fighting. But we find out in the next two verses, Paul says that he became ill along the way. The Bible says, verse 27, indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul was saying, man, the guy got sick. And praise God, he had mercy on him to be able to bring him back to life. Because in those days, it's not like today you get sick, you get a cold, whatever. Back then, you can get a cold, get a flu, and you would die. And so there's a miracle of God, and he says he spared him, but he also spared me because he came to serve me. And he goes, and how awful would it be for him to come and serve me? And that the fact that he came to serve me, that he would end up dying in the process. It would be more than he could ultimately handle. Now, different commentators are kind of divided here of when he became sick. I'm not sure it's incredibly important. But some have suggested that he gets sick when he finally gets to Rome with Paul. And that's where he comes down with this sickness. Others suggest that he actually, and I kind of tend to agree with this view, and we can't go into the depth of it, the arguments of it, but they actually believe he got sick well before he ended up making it to Rome. Somewhere along the path, he, he fell sick, and he was incredibly sick and overwhelmed, almost to the point of death. If that's the case, then him going to Rome was even more incredible because how many of us would, be, would go on a trip, get incredibly sick to the point of death, and still continue on a very difficult journey? Most of us would want to be able to go back home. So either way, though, he was harmed. He became sick, and he suffered for the sake of the work. And he's saying th- those, and what Paul's ultimately saying to us is he says, those that are willing to suffer for the sake of service to you and to I, and for the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a place for them to be of special honor for them. There was a young man that um, just about a week ago, um, he, he was all dressed up in his military garb, and, and, I, and he was up there, and I said, hey, man, let me, let me buy your, 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 your sandwich. I, I appreciate your service. And he goes, sir, please, don't, 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 don't buy my lunch. And I, and I said, why is that? And he goes, I have not spent one day on the battlefield. And he goes, I'm in the military, but I'm not on the battlefield. There's a big difference between those who are in the battle and those who are suffering. Save it for those who have, who have given a cost. I was amazed by that, right? I mean, every other guy I paid for that doesn't go, they're like, yeah, give it to me, baby. You know, you know they're just like, we're good. And, and listen, let me, let me tell you this. I, I believe, and, and I'm glad that we've come to a place where we, we really do honor 
our military men and women that be able to serve, I think it's wonderful. I think it's, it's almost become almost like a fad, like it's, a, it's the big thing to do. And I think it's probably an important fad to be able to do. And, uh, but I want to remind you, it hasn't always been this way. I, I remember my dad and being in Vietnam and especially uh, doing two and a half tours in Vietnam and the special forces. He was an air commando there. And even when he got out, he began to sp- tr- teach special forces in the Philippines and he began to do all these things. And, and when he came back, there was no cheering. There was no, no, no calling. It, it, there was no parade for him. Um, there was only condemnation for him. There was only saying ridicule for what it was that he was and ridicule for his failure. And, and so what, what I'm suggesting here, and we're going to see this in a couple minutes, I'll bring it out again, is that, you know what, the one thing we certainly don't want to do with those who are in and working and serving at great expense to themselves, we want to make sure that we are honoring them in a special way. I would say Jared and Whitney, who are about to leave and go to the mission field very soon, praise God for them to be able to go. And, and, and we'll talk about them in just a moment. But, but for those who are laying everything on the line, in, in making great sacrifices, whether that be in employment or whether that be just in a daily basis, the people that you see on a daily basis sacrificing for the, propagate of the propagation of the gospel, those people deserve honor. Let, let me give you another one here. Uh, we need to honor those who work on our behalf. We need to honor those that work on our behalf. This is what Paul writes. He writes, and your messenger. So what he does is he goes, he goes from how Epaphroditus served Paul to how Epaphroditus served them. Now notice his words, and your messenger. He was your messenger, and he was your minister to my need, okay? He was ministering on your behalf. He, he, he then says in verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. Now notice this, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, so get this, one more, follow along with me. There were three parts to what the Philippians wanted to do. They wanted to collect an offering, which they did. They wanted to get the offering to Paul. And then they wanted to take care of Paul while he was in prison so he could continue the gospel ministry. The whole church could only do one of those three. They could only collect the money. He completed their work, their whole plan of service by going and staying and doing. And what, what, what we need to understand is what's so beautiful about this is that they, they get to take part in the reward of what this man is doing. He's going and serving, and they as a whole church really are able to be able to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of that. Again, let, let me bring this back. It's not just the preacher of Celebration Baptist Church who will be rewarded for those that respond to the preaching of the Word of God. It will be all that partner, that sacrifice, that take part and are willing to suffer at great extent for the propagation of the gospel, whether you're preaching or not. That's why I have such a respect for those who are doing Gracie's Kitchen. I, I, I respect them. They need to be honored. They're out there ministering to the poor, to those in, in the food pantry, same exact thing. They're ministering to the poor. And the reason that they ought to be honored is they're doing something that I'm either, I either can't do sometimes or what people sometimes are unwilling to do, but yet we get to enjoy and take part in the benefit of all the blessings that they receive. Why? Because we're a part of a local family. Let me say one more thing here, and that is that we need to honor those who work selfishly, selflessly, not selfishly. That would be bad. But honor those who work selflessly. Verse 26, 
Paul writes, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The word distress is interesting because it's it's found one primary place uh, in Mark chapter 14, verse 33, where it describes, and it's translated anguish, and it describes the the distress and anguish of Jesus the night before he goes to his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is overwhelmed, he's distressed, he's, 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 he's full of anguish. As he knows what's going to come, the wrath of God is going to pour down on him. And what's interesting here is he's using the same exact word is, is mentioned there. And what he's saying is, is what is causing all this anguish for Epaphroditus is not his own illness. His concern is for those back home that are worried for him. What keeps him up at night, what keeps him concerned, and apparently has even got him distracted in his service to Paul, is that here he is, he's suffering, probably still having some of the outcome of that service, but he's not thinking about, oh, woe is me. He's thinking about those people that are concerned for him. It's harder for us to understand that because we have texting, right? And I can text Julie over in India, and in a second, she receives whatever message it is. We're talking about by the time he finds out that they that they are concerned for him, that's 40 days. It takes another 40 days at least for him to be able to get back word to them. He knows that their concern, his thoughts are for them. This is serving. This is serving and working for the kingdom. This is working for others, for us, for other people. It's working at great expense to himself, and it's working selflessly. And then notice that, that Paul does the same exact thing. Verse 28 He says, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. (laughs) I love that. He's like, look, man, this guy's struggling, and I know y'all are struggling, and I don't want people to struggle because he's here serving me. Now, if anybody needs services, Paul, he's in prison. He needs somebody to get him a Pop-Tart. He needs something to eat, and he sits there and says, forget it. Just let him go. I'm sending him back for you. That's selfish service. So what what is all this calling us to do? I hope it's clear. I hope what he's saying is that you and I must be about honoring people who work. For people who work to, to, to working out their salvation. They're living the life of Christ. It's something to be recognized. It's something to be honored. We need to sit back and we need to be able to honor those people as well who not only work but and work out their salvation, but work specifically for the kingdom. And I'm not talking about full-time ministers. I'm talking about those type of people who sit there and they may work a regular full-time job somewhere, but you know everything about them is geared towards the kingdom of God. Even the money that they make is for the kingdom of God. Their free time is for the kingdom of God. And then, and then we know those that do at great expense to themselves. We need to honor those again that, that, that work on our behalf. We benefit from their service. And also those that work selflessly. Now, we, we understand, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. But here's my question. I have no idea what that really looks like. Okay, we're to honor them, but what does that what does it mean? And I've, and I've looked through the word of God to try to figure that out. And it, does it mean that we get everybody up here individually and we get, get a band and I do this and burr, burr, with a kazoo and, and all that, bring, 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 and hit the drum and all that and go, hey, you're awesome. You know, is that what we do? I don't know. Maybe that's what we do. I don't know. We, we need to work out what the word of God is saying. But let me just say, 
a few things. I think number one in application, in final application, I don't think the appropriate uh, um, response here would be to say, yeah, man, I've been looked over, uh, overlooked for years at my service, and now it's time for me to be honored. I, I don't think that's the appropriate application. You, you got that, right? And I only say that because I think that that's possible. I believe that I'm sinful enough that I could get to the end of this and I could somehow make it about me. But this is what I've learned is the people that are truly worthy of honor would sit there and go, bro, I don't want anything in concern. If you're thinking about how you might be honored, that might be the inappropriate way of this application. If you're thinking on how you would honor other people, I think that's appropriate. So how do we do it? I think number one way that we can honor those that do and work at great expense to themselves is that we can reserve criticism. We can reserve criticism of their work. I'm not saying that criticism is not needed and there could be positive criticism, but I've very rarely heard positive, constructive criticism. I've just not heard much of that. Every once in a while, like a blind hog finding an acorn, well, there'll be some positive criticism and instruction. But the truth is, let's really be honest. It's so incredibly easy to nitpick. So incredibly easy to see what's wrong and to be able to criticize what somebody else is doing or ultimately how they're doing it. And a lot of times people don't even really mean much by it, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, your old grandpa that you just love so much. You know, he's 160 years old. I say that not to offend. So 160 years old, and there ain't anything that he doesn't complain about, right? And you're like, you're about to meet my grandfather, and he is a crotchety curmudgeon. And uh, he complains about everything. But everybody, you go in and you say, it's okay. And you're like, you know, the guy really doesn't mean a whole lot. But it normally does mean a great deal to the person who's being criticized. That's what I've learned. So the thing is, is if somebody is willing to be able to get in there and they're willing to be able to serve and they're willing to be able to give, do everything we can to reserve any type of criticism, that'd be a great way to begin with honoring. And so here's the second thing. And this is going to seem so simplistic, okay? Um, and I know all of this is. But what do you do with a passage like this? Here's the second thing. I think we can begin by just saying thank you. Saying thank you. I, I really do, and now, now you're going to see that I'm becoming old. Okay, here it is. I really do believe that we're losing the use of the term thank you within our vernacular, our contemporary vernacular. Um, my dad taught me to open up doors for people. All right, open up doors. Not, you know, some people, they open it up, and right when you're about to get to it, they shut it. I don't know what that's all about. I don't think that counts. Thanks! Uh, what that is. But oftentimes, just, you know, you're just opening the door, and no thank you. No, they don't say no thank you. They just say, well, actually, I have one time. Ladies like, what, you think because I'm a woman, you need to open the door? Okay, I don't know where we're going here, all right? And so, so you're just trying to open the door. Or I don't know about you, but I, I like to try to let people into traffic. I'm not the one that sits there and goes, yeah, yeah, I'm getting thrilled. You know, you just, you're right up there. You're not getting through. You're not getting through. You know, I'm that guy. Just kind of get through. I get people about, you know, bar, you know, beeping at me, you know, behind me going, man, don't let them in. You know, you just like let in there. And for some reason over the years, you're not getting that thank you wave anymore. No, thank, no thank you wave. No thank you wave. Just, just uh, this, is, this is where I need to be. You, I deserve for you to let me in here. Uh, and it's, I was eating with a young man just a couple months ago, and, and we sat there, and I, and, and I just told the waitress, she just had given us such great service. I just told her, I said, man, thank you so much. You were, 
you're really fantastic, and wanted to go to the manager and just tell him, man, she did so great with that. And of course, we left a big tip, all right, big tip, that's the best way to say I love you. I love you, that's weird. Um, thank you, okay, thank you, thank you for your service. But, but here's, here, here, here's, and the, the young man basically said to me, he goes, why are you saying thank you? They're, they're the wait staff. This is what they're paid to be able to do. And I'm like, are we really, be, are we really coming to that? Yeah, they're, they're being paid for that. But everybody, it's a healthy thing to be recognized for a job well done. A thank you is just the easiest way to let somebody know who's ministering to you, who's pouring into your life, that's working on your behalf at great expense to themselves, whether it's a mom, a dad, a Sunday school teacher, small group leader, whatever it is, for you just to be able to sit there and go, hey, man, I know you've been working with my kid. I just want to thank I want to, want to tell you thank you. Thank you. You'd be amazed how honoring that is to people. Here's another thing. I think you need to minister to those who are ministering. It's one thing to be amazed by those who sit back and they do so much and you want to honor them in different ways, and that's all a wonderful thing. But those who are ministering, that are really doing, that are really working, that are really out there, there's a time for us to be able to look at them and realize and recognize that there's a time in their life that they need to be ministered to. That they've given their life all that, but there's times that things are falling apart for them. Maybe they're a small group leader. And maybe they're used to teaching and you, maybe they're used to organizing everything and they're used to getting food and doing all that. Well, there's a time that they're going to have difficulties in their life that they can use somebody to come and sit there and say, hey, man, we need you to tap out because now it's us, our time. You need to be cared for. You need to be able to be ministered to. So keep that in, in mind. And so those are just a couple of specific applications. But let me, let me close with this because, you know, if I were to preach this message without the gospel, it would not be a Christian message. Amen. It would not be. It would just be, go and do some good things. And it'd be no different than the man that just made people walk on hot coals. Um, I don't know if you've heard about that. But anyway, it would be no different than that. It would just be, do better. You know, you just, and that's what preaching is. is preaching has become, men, you need to pull yourself by the bootstraps and do differently. If I ever preach that way, it's time for me to set aside because we preach Christ and Christ crucified. We preach doing these things in light of what Christ has done for us. So where do we see the gospel naturally in this text? I think it's in the fact that here is a man who came close to death in service of other people. And Paul is drawing a direct uh, 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 um, correlation here with Epaphroditus, I believe, in the text. And that is because Jesus Christ, he says that he humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross, the difference is he didn't come close to death. He died all the way. And what Paul is teaching here is when somebody lives and gives and sacrifices themselves in such a way, what he's saying to us within the church, it is only appropriate that we respond in an appropriate way. There are inappropriate ways to respond and there are appropriate ways to respond. And now he says, but he is only doing this because he's living out the gospel. He's living like Christ, which points us to Christ. And here's the idea. Nobody has done more for us and served us to a greater depth and a greater capacity than the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, who was willingly to die on that cross for sinners who were rebelled against him and who allow the wrath of God to pour out on him in order to satisfy God's righteous wrath so that those who repent and believe in him would have eternal life. And here's what I want to say. There is a correct and an incorrect way to respond to that type of service. I think that's us where God brings us. 
I think for us today, if you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that he's done, the best thing to do is to repent and believe. But those who already do, you believe all the more. You take the truth of God's word that we've even learned today and said, yeah, I need to be, even, even with this in my life, I need to be a person who honors those who are worthy of honor. If you're not born again, then it comes to sit there and say, there's a right and a wrong thing to do in light of what Christ has done for me. And what is right is for me to repent and believe and be saved. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We love you. We thank you. And